Welcome to Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFBA. Over the next hour, you'll be introduced to business and local leaders impacting our community. Text your comments or questions directly to the studio at 540-371-5756. Now, the host of Town Talk, Ted Schubel. Special education, our focus this morning. We've got a couple of uh, experts on special education to talk about it this morning. Tamara Quick is uh, is the chair and Blosser, the vice chair of Spotsylvania Schools Special Education Advisory Committee, or SEAC. You may have heard that come up in a lot of meetings. Good morning to both of you. Thanks for getting up early this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Tamara, let me start off with you. Sure. The uh, SEAC, it comes up a lot of times, and in, in, in I... I'll be the first to say I don't know a whole lot about this, which was why I'm glad the two of you were in to t- to talk about that. I know you have you have regular meetings and mm-hmm. you have a, you have number of uh, a number of uh, of parents and, and and school officials on this committee. Talk about this committee. Sure, the Special Education Advisory Committee is a committee that is required by the state of Virginia. So every school division must have one of these committees. Um, and what we do is we advise the school system about special education, about the needs of special education students um, when they are presenting policies affecting special education students particularly. We are supposed to review those policies. We give advice, guidance. They don't have to listen to us mm-hmm. like like a lot of committees, but we are there um, to give advice because we are generally parents, caregivers, teachers that are involved with students uh, in special education. Would, so we have, you know, we're kind of stakeholders. Right. And you, you know things... Well, it's a lot of times when when you'll have a committee or a group together that will talk about issues and people who are living it will will look at a look at a situation or something that's proposed and say that won't work exactly and that and that comes up a lot because everybody's got their own vantage point you know if i was hearing about how to do brain surgery, I wouldn't maybe have any handy tips for that. But as a as a mother of three students in Spotsy schools that have IEPs, that have had 504 plans, that have um, special needs, that have struggles, then I, I'm really familiar. And not only that, but serving as an advocate where I help other families. So I've seen, you know, hundreds of families and know what they're going through. So it just, it gives you a, another way to look at things, um, especially, you know, our school board members that don't necessarily have education backgrounds and specifically not special education we are actually lucky we do have some that do um, and so that's super helpful but just to be able to be an extra set of eyes and ears to give them advice IEPs and 504 those were the first two things you just said that I wrote down that uh, what are those yeah those are the types of plans you have in special education so an IEP is an individualized education plan and it is um, for students that that have needs they need accommodations maybe you need extra time on test Um, maybe you need something read aloud to you and they have services like maybe you need specialized reading instruction and then there's also goals attached to an IEP so a goal could could be related to how many words per minute you you can read Uh, and then a 504 plan is similar to that but really anybody with any sort of disability like let's say you have ADHD um, maybe you are uh, temporarily on crutches for any sort of um, medical uh, physical um, neurobiological so brain-based like a learning disability or attention disorder um, you can get a 504 plan for that and it's just uh, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act is the fancy long title, but we just call it a 504 plan. But both plans provide educational supports for students with struggles. When when a student 
when a student goes to school, when, when, when you're sending your, your child to school, do you know, when, do you generally know that, that they're going to need some of these or does some of this come up when you're in school? Yeah, a lot of it doesn't come up till you're in school. I mean, I have, um, my son is super bright and he would always do these huge, like a thousand piece puzzles when he was five upside down because he liked the shapes. He didn't care about the picture. So we knew he was really smart. So then when he was struggling to read in first grade, it was weird. In second grade, third grade, and and we just kept hearing excuses after excuses why he couldn't read. And, oh, he'd come around. And then eventually they said, um, oh, some kids just never learn to read. You need to give up and move on. And that's when I was like, that doesn't sound right to me (laughs) because I know he's super bright. And I didn't know kids could just not ever learn how to read. Um, and so I really didn't know until he was in school and kind of deep in school that there was a problem they should have been solving. A lot of times, you know, you know, you, you the pediatrician will tell you or, or the pediatrician will go over things and say, well, they should be doing this or that by now. Um, but really, you don't often know that you're in school and it's incumbent on the school system to find you. They have a mandate to find the child and offer the supports. It's really not on you to figure it out, but oftentimes that's where parents are. I want to take a quick break and come back. We'll talk about how, how both of you got involved with uh, with SEAC and then talk about some, some individual uh, situations or, or things that the, the, the parents may uh, in, in encounter as we go along this morning. Anna Blosser and Tamara Quick here. Special education, our focus. More on News Talk 1230 WFVA. We will be right back. Welcome back to Town Talk on News Talk 1230. You can weigh in about today's topic on Facebook at WFVA 1230 and by text at 540-371-5756. Here's your host, Ted Schubel. Camera Quick and Adam Blaster here this morning. Special Education, our focus. Uh, they are both part of uh, Spotsylvania School Special Special Education Advisory Committee, SEAC. Adam, how did you get involved with, with, uh, with, with SEAC? How did you get here? So I, um, just a few years ago, the reality is my son has been in special education since he started school, but just a few years ago, I knew nothing about special education. Um, I was, you know, an involved parent, but not, uh, I I just didn't know, didn't know the law, didn't know what was required. And uh, we had a crisis at school and that um, led to me really needing to educate myself and, and learn as much as I could about what was going on, why it was happening, what should have happened, um, how what things have been done wrong and what needed to happen in order to move forward. And so um, just through my own experience of not knowing and then t- teaching myself basically all of the things that I needed to know in order to be able, able to advocate for my own child uh, led me to really want to be involved in helping other families because I know there's so many in the exact same situation that I was in. Um, when you are kind of thrust into the world of special education, you don't, you, you probably don't have a background in special education. Yeah. You don't even have a background in education. Um, and so you have to, um, have to learn all of that. And so for me, it was just, uh, it was a crisis that, that led to it, but I, I would hope for, for others that, um, we could get to them before a crisis happens so that we can uh, provide that uh, knowledge and uh, education that, that, that is needed in order to um, navigate the system. Well, and, and, and I think so often, too, we, you, you send your kids to school and you just assume 
the school will take care of it. And when you do run into a situation like that, all of a sudden you you, you realize that, that, that there are gaps or there are things that you don't know that you do need to know. Yeah, I think one of the things that was uh, kind of disorienting for us is that it was a crisis that led to us kind of having an awakening. Um, but once we had that awakening, we realized there were other things that we didn't even realize had been wrong that yeah. were actually wrong and needed to be addressed. And so that was that was one of the most frustrating things for me is that we had been trusting the school and we we loved our child's teachers, we loved our, our child's school. Um, and so when the crisis first happened, there was a high level of trust. Um, but when uh, we realized things weren't being handled in the way that they should, the trust left and then we realized there were a lot of other things that we had been trusting that we shouldn't have been trusting and uh, we needed to to make some changes. And in this situation too, in, in, in so many cases, the, the, the special education student may not be able to give you, you know, a, a, they're, they're not able to, to, to maybe verbalize what's been happening or what hasn't been happening. Sure. I mean, that's certainly the case for, for my student. Um, I mean, he's verbal, but uh, he can't come home and give a full rundown of his day. And yeah. So um, just the, you're kind of left with uh, teacher reports and, and trying to piece things together to try to figure out what's going on and why it's happening. And so it, there, there's just a, there are a lot of challenges that are associated with it. Tamara, quick, how'd you get involved? A very similar story about seven years ago, as I mentioned earlier, my son was struggling with reading and it seemed really out of place. And so I um, was actually talking to a coworker who mentioned dyslexia, which is a reading disability, and dysgraphia, which is a writing disability. And the more this coworker was talking, I was like, that sounds like my son. And so um, I came home from a work meeting and I start looking for who, who tests for this? How do I find out about mm -hmm. this? So I called a, a neuropsychologist up in Northern Virginia who I had read about tests for this sort of thing. And the first thing he said, well, why hasn't the school done testing? And I said, well, I guess they don't do that here. And he was like, no, no, the federal law says they have to. Um, have you told them that you think your son has a disability? And I said, well, I've been telling him for five years that I don't understand why he's struggling. I don't know if I use the word. I think he has a disability. Um, then when I went back and I, I read some some emails I had sent teachers and said, I did say, I think he has a disability. And they said he was too smart to have a disability or he was too sweet to have a disability. And so, you know, like Adam, I didn't know about any of this. So I immediately started learning the laws and started trying to understand reading disabilities. And I realized, um, like Adam, a lot of things that were supposed to be happening simply weren't happening. Like when a parent says, I'm concerned, I think they have a disability, they, am, they have 10 days to hold a meeting. And um, that didn't happen in five years. And so most parents are just thrust into this world not knowing. I even have a law degree, but I didn't know about special education law. Um, so we're thrust into it. And then we spend hours and hours learning the law, learning the responsibilities of the school and, and the requirements. And it, it kind of becomes a passion because you get help for your child, but mm -hmm. then you think about all the other kids. And it's, it becomes sort of overwhelming because it's like, okay, I'm going to do this for my child, but how can I help other kids? Because now I've uncovered this issue and this issue. 
Well, in, in, in the fact that the, both of you have high, a high degree of education, and but I, and I think we all are. I mean, I, I know just you, you, you do, you, you, you send your kids and you just assume, when, especially when, when you talked about the federal law, mm-hmm. if there's federal law involved, everybody knows the law in the school system will follow the law. You just think you just think that, right? Yeah. And you laugh. Yeah, yeah. And and unfortunately, the reality is everyone doesn't know the law. Um, yeah. That is very clear in every single IEP meeting I've gone to. Um, and I I try not to to harp too much on teachers or staff or school systems because there's a lot of laws to know. But they should have someone on staff who knows the laws for sure. Um, they need teachers need more time for training. Teachers need more funding to get properly trained to go to other courses. We need smaller class sizes. There's there's so many needs out there that I hate to place the blame on any one person, but. When I'm working with parents and I remind myself all all the time that I have to say a lot of times, that's not my problem, which is something my kids say to me sort of sarcastically. You know, they'll say, well, that seems like a you problem, mom. Um, and that's kind of how I am in IEP meetings in my head. I say, well, you know, I feel bad. They don't have funding or this teacher can't get training, but that's not my problem. Mm. My issue is here's the law. We're going to all follow it. Yeah. No, that be that that. that that makes total sense. So how often do you meet with with, with, with teachers and, and have these IEP meetings? Yeah, so um, you're supposed to have an annual IEP meeting, and so that is, that is the minimum requirement. But the reality is that um, parents can request an IEP meeting whenever there is a need for an IEP meeting. And so, um, you know, some things can be accomplished just with a parent-teacher conference, but when there are changes to the IEP document, uh, or uh, goals aren't being met, progress isn't happening, then uh, the, there needs to be an IEP meeting to discuss why the progress isn't uh, taking place and why the, why the supports that have been put in place aren't working and, and those kinds of things and what else is needed. And so uh, whenever a parent feels like there's a need for an IEP meeting, they should request an IEP meeting and they should request that meeting in writing. Uh, they should be, um, that's, that's important because the reality is if, if you just request it verbally, it's essentially like it didn't happen. So uh, always request those meetings and get everything in writing. Yes. As the attorney in me always says, and I, I would just add to that. It's not just if you see educational issues, you know, they were struggling uh, with reading or with math. Um, and now uh, they're still struggling, but also behavioral issues. If, if your student, especially if they have an IEP or a 504 plan, if they get into behavioral problems, if you're being called to come and pick up your child, if your child is eloping, meaning they just run outside the school, yeah. um, if these things are happening, you need to call a meeting because they need a specific behavioral plan. And that is something that needs to be followed. If they have a behavioral plan and they're still having issues, guess what? The plan's not working. And the IP and the behavioral plan needs to address these issues uh, just to make sure every everyone is on the same page with how to support the child. And this is your child. You want the best for them. And you, you also, like you said, both have said, you, you want the law followed. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the reality is that, I, I mean, I, I always assume that the school staff, teachers, even principal and other administrators want to do the right thing. Um, and, but often, as Tamara was saying, they don't necessarily always know the right thing. They don't always know what they're supposed to do. And so um, it does put parents in a difficult place because p- parents feel like 
the staff should be the ones who, who know all of these things. Yeah. And when they don't, um, it, it's tough to have to go in and say, you know, well, this is this is actually this way. The law says this. Um, and, and so sometimes that's the you know need for us. We needed an advocate to help us when we first realized things weren't going the way that they needed to. Um, we needed someone who knew the law better than we did to, in order to, to help out. So what do you do in that kind of a situation? Do you have to go outside and, and, and find someone who, who, uh, who can do that? Yeah, you do. And that's the tough thing is a lot of families with children in special education don't have the resources to hire an advocate. And so they are, you know, trying to go it alone and, yeah. and do it on their own. And, it- just yeah, I was going to say to that, um, an advocate. There's there's special education attorneys. An advocate is a non-attorney, so it's someone who's usually a parent that this became their passion, so they're helping other families. Um, just like with attorneys, uh, there's usually fees involved, and it. I mean, a special ed attorney that I'm working with in Northern Virginia, three hundred dollars an hour. I mean, and an hour would be, you know, a phone call is an hour. Then they're going to do research, and then maybe they come to meetings. So we're talking about multiple thousands it of adds dollars. Up. Yeah. So what I always tell people is, you know, before you you hire an attorney or an advocate or any, take just take someone with you. Take maybe a lot of people will have a, a former teacher in their family or someone who's been through the process before, or just a friend who just seems real calm under pressure. Because when you go into those meetings, imagine sitting in a room, you have no idea what's going on, you're on one side of the table, and there's eight people on the other side of the table who all have education and experience in this. And you are terrified because there's something going on with your child and all you want to do is help them. Mm-hmm. It is the loneliest moment of my entire life life sitting in that room and and I still have have the PTSD from it even with my education and experience and I still have to get help now so take someone with you who can take notes for you who can help with questions who can kind of be level-headed if you start getting upset or emotional about something Um, I always tell people that's kind of the first step for help is never go alone yeah, parents should know that they have a right to bring whoever they want to the IEP meeting. I think that's something basic, but a lot of parents don't realize that they can bring someone. They can bring anybody. If it's a grandparent, a friend, whoever it is uh, that they want to come, that they feel like would be beneficial uh, to that meeting, who has some knowledge of the child, uh, that they can bring that person to the meeting. And so um, that they should feel totally free to, to do that. Besides, the, besides just looking at, at some, in some cases, the, the, the cost of hiring an attorney or, or, an, or an advocate, there's just the time, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and finding one, because I know when I, was, when I was struggling and my husband was like, your mental health is declining, you really need to get some help with this, because I had a full-time job and I was spending probably 40 to 50 hours a week researching everything. Mm. Um, and so, and that was for, uh, from September when we started the process to January when we finally had the IEP. It's a very long process. Um, I was really at, at my wits end, so to speak, burning the candle at both ends and, and all those other phrases. Um, and so I started looking and I couldn't find anybody. So it's like, where do you go for help when you can't find anybody? Now I know a lot of resources, but at the time I didn't. And um, it's it's such a scary, lonely place when all you want to do is help your child and you you see that there's nothing you can do. It's um, it's tough. 
Well, and it, as, as you two talk about this, it just reminds me when when, when you hear when, with 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 children who have who have illnesses, and there's always the talk: advocate for your child, advocate for your your child. This is one of those situations too, where you, you you've got to be the one to advocate for them because they can't. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I think parents have to know that uh, they cannot just um, you know allow the, trust that the school system is always going to do everything uh, the way that they should. And the, what's, what's that phrase? Trust but verify. Yeah. I think yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and you really do. And there's a lot of resources out there. Um, understood.org is a great sort of written with parents in mind resource for basically all things special ed whether it's talking about the special education laws or whether it's talking about specific things like adhd autism um, dyslexia it it is a great resource uh, and it it even has the read aloud version a lot of parents have their own struggles uh, most not I, I would say most um issues that you're seeing with students that they came from the parents it's it's hereditary or genetically Mm -hmm. based i don't have dyslexia three of my children do not just a coincidence (laughs) so we traced it back to people on my husband's side of the family and on my side of the family had dyslexia and so um it's it's kind of a, a funny thing once your students in special ed you start looking at family members going who, who brought this to our family? Um, just And you learn a lot more about your family. Um, so that's sort of the interesting part. But, but really finding those resources that you understand are super helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think um, another resource that I would highly recommend is the rightslaw.com website. And uh, that's rights law with a W at the beginning. And uh, there's the the book that he puts out all about IEPs is very simple. It's like a question and answer type format, and it's very easy to <laughs> to follow and understand. And then uh, there's also Petsy P E A T C. If you Google that, um, that's a like family engagement uh, group in Virginia that will provide uh, training and, and and that kind of thing for understanding these things. And so some, just kind of gaining some of that basic knowledge. Uh, goes a long way because you can never learn everything that there is to know about special education. Yeah. But if you learn just the, the basics, then you know where to go in the future. It, and you build on it. You really you really build on it. Um, and I would also add the Parent Resource Center here in Spotsylvania County um, is a great help for parents. And if they, if they don't know the answers, they can point you to the right um, right place. And I should should add that the uh, Parent Resource Center is sort of the host of our SEAC meetings. Um, and our next SEAC meeting is December 14th. Uh, we have a social at 630 and then the meeting is 7 to 830. And our meeting's an open forum. So it's a chance for parents, caregivers, community members who have students or concerns about special education to come raise those concerns, bring your praises. Um, But we meet um, at the Parent Resource Center building, which is the Center for Family and Preschool Services at 7409 Brock Road. So a great opportunity to meet the parent resource people and come to our open forum. Right next to the uh, Holbert building there. Uh, in yes. Spotsylvania. Mm-hmm. Tamara Quick and Adam Blosser here this morning. Special Education, our focus, they're members of, of the Spotsylvania School Special Education Advisory Committee, SEAC. More on News Talk 1230 WFVA. It is now 831. From the Fredericksburg.today online news studios, this is News Talk 1230 WFVA, Fredericksburg, a centennial broadcasting station focused on Fredericksburg. 
This is Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFVA. Hear the show anytime by subscribing to the Town Talk podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And now, here's your host, Ted Schubel. Special education, our focus this morning. Adam Blosser is here along with uh, Tamara Quick. They're on with the uh, spot. They're on the uh, special education advisory committee, SEAC, with Spotsylvania County Schools. And really, Tamara, as you as you talk about this, it it really shows. I had no idea, and some of these, uh, uh, this has been eye opening for me on, on on a number of areas. You you hear about you hear about these situations, but they're real. It's, 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 it's mm-hmm. the two of you talk about just your own situation, and you just think this this gets multiplied quite a bit. I'm afraid. Yeah, and I always say if if people really understood what was going on, there'd be a march on Washington. Yeah. I mean, I I mentioned when we were talking before, 15% of Spotsylvania students are in special education. That's a lot of students, you know. It's it's hard to name 15% that are doing anything else. And I think if more people really understood the issues, both what the school system is struggling with because they need more funding, they need more time for teacher training, uh, they need more warm bodies as as we all know, um, but then the things the parents are struggling with, trying to get support that they can, people get second mortgages on their house, people lose their houses to hire attorneys and, and fight the schools just to get things like their child taught how to read. I mean, mm. it's the struggles are so crazy, it's hard to believe sometimes. The things that are said in these IEP meetings are so crazy, it's hard to believe. But I really feel like if more people understood, they would be calling their legislator, their congressperson, they would be marching and saying, how are we treating students this way? We're supposed to be the best country in the world, yet we are consistently not teaching students how to read. Um, Two-thirds of students can't read proficiently on grade level. Two-thirds of all students, not just special education, but no one's up in arms about that. Um, that's it's it's been crazy uh, as as we know about the school board in Spotsylvania County. Um, there have been issues, and one of my issues is why aren't we talking about this struggle for kids learning how to read, and mm-hmm. what more can we be doing instead of wasting our time on on kind of non issues? And I really wish people would pay a little more attention, uh, so they would say wait, all students need to be taught better, but especially people in special ed, where there's federal laws saying, here's what you're supposed to do, we need to ensure those are being followed. The Virginia Literacy Act, what what, what is that? And how, how does that tie into this? Yep, the, the Virginia Literacy Act is something that I have been excited about for a number of years. Um, Decoding Dyslexia Virginia, which is a dyslexia advocacy group, and some other groups uh, came together, and, and they did sort of march on Richmond, and they encouraged legislators to uh, really rethink literacy in Virginia because our literacy scores are so bad. As I said, two-thirds of students can't read proficiently at grade level. Um, and so they uh, insisted that through through legislation that reading be taught based on the science of reading. If you've had a kid in school the last 20 years, they were on these levels, Mm -hmm. and you'd hear, oh, your kid's on level G, level H. There's actually no science behind those levels. There's limited research, and it's really faulty behind what those levels are. And so you may have thought, for example, my son was reading at a fourth grade level according to these levels, but when we had testing done, he was reading at a first grade level. When we had research-based, scientifically-based, 
based testing. So those levels, SOLs, don't really test reading, they test comprehension. And the Virginia Literacy Act says all of your instruction must be based on the science of reading, which is how the brain learns to read and write. Um, it, it requires that families get resources to help, that teachers go through specific training, that reading specialists have you know more training, and that divisions have literacy plans that really support all of these efforts. Um, the, the Virginia has given extra funding to support all of this training and, and getting new resources, but it's going to be implemented next year. It's the first year it has to be implemented. Spotsy actually started working on this probably three or four years ago. I kept talking about science of reading um, back six or seven years ago and people were actually listening, which was awesome. But it's really going to be a change for how reading's taught. I'm sure there'll be some bumps. Um, teachers are having to go through a lot of training and learn a lot of new things. But in the end, it's really going to ensure more students are able to read. Interesting. I, as you as you talk about that, I, I think of how many times in, in watching school board meetings with any locality, and they, they, they talk about uh, reading coaches or literacy teachers. I will pay more attention to that, about the importance yeah, of that. Exactly. And in the past, the problem was you had these reading specialists who weren't trained on science of reading. So a lot of times what they were the support they were giving the students was really no help. Um, at, the best example I have is when my son was struggling, I was told the problem was we weren't reading to him enough at home. And that that was, if we read more at home, he wouldn't be having these struggles. Somebody said that? Yeah, multiple times. I can't, I can't even. But, um, but the problem was he didn't know that letters made sounds mm. and you put letters together to make words another example I, I have a daughter who is in governor school 12th grade governor school scored 98th percentile on her sats super smart she has dyslexia um, she was told she couldn't be in governor school and have dyslexia um, which is of course not true but she last year as an 11th grader said hey mom i just learned if you put letters together they make sounds and that makes words she literally only knew this as an 11th grader when she should have been taught this all along. Um, she thought words were simply shapes. You know, there were letters and they were shapes, not sounds, and you memorized. So she had this vast vocabulary through memorization, not the ability to sound out words. It's a, it's a struggle. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I think reading is uh, such an important uh, thing when we're talking about special education because I think it's one of those uh, invisible uh, disabilities that uh, a student can have, and they can have, they can be, go they can make it quite a ways through school before uh, anyone even knows that they have a reading disability. And so, one thing I would say to parents is, if your child is struggling to read. Uh, maybe they don't have a reading disability, but go ahead and request an evaluation uh, so that uh, that determination can be made. Um, because if they do, uh, they need the uh, specialized instruction in order to be able to learn to read. If they don't have a disability, nothing is lost by requesting that evaluation and having the evaluation and finding out that it's, that it's not. And, and the reality is that it, it sometimes leads to so many other problems. Like sometimes there's a student who is having behavior problems at school, and what is the reason? Because they're getting picked on because they don't know how to read. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's just, 
these kinds of things can can have far-reaching effects that we may not even be aware of uh, if we're not paying attention and, and getting the testing and evaluations that are yeah. necessary. And there's also a lot of uh, comorbidities, a lot of things that go together. If your child's struggling with reading, it might not be a reading disability. It could be ADHD. It could be an attention um, disorder. And the other thing I'd say to what Adam said was if the school says, well, we're going to try intervention first, um, the U.S. Department of Education has said, no, that's not the way the law works. When parents request this child study team come together, you have to meet. You can't delay um, to try other things out. That's uh, that's illegal. So if, if people try to delay or say we're going to try this or that um well they can try those things while the evaluation process is going on but you absolutely don't have to wait to do the testing i'm sure you two have run into situations where you have sat down and had people across from you say those those kinds of things and you've had to resort to probably the uncomfortable situation of saying but that's not the law the law says this yeah, almost every time that I speak with someone who's having an issue, uh, they tell me what they've been told, and I say, well, <laughs> that that I'm sure that's what you were told. I'm not doubting that you were told that, but that's not what the law says. And so um, it, I think one, one thing that I, I would say to parents is if you hear something and it doesn't sound right, it probably isn't right because uh, the law is actually really strong when it comes to uh, the rights of students with disabilities. Uh, certainly, it can always be stronger and made better, but uh, students with disabilities have a lot of, of rights, and um, there's a lot there to protect uh, them and to provide for their educational needs. And so if something doesn't sound right, it probably isn't right, and that's a cue that you've got to figure out what isn't right and why it isn't right and what is the right thing so that you can take that back to the team. Yeah, and just to add to that, not only do students have rights, but parents have rights. Um, under uh, Section 504, IDEA, and even ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, um, parents also have rights. And one of the big, big parts of IDEA is that parents have rights to participation and that includes giving your input and and you are an equal member of this IEP team which means what you say can't be disregarded and there's not supposed to be a vote like like if you're meeting to decide should should Johnny get this resource we don't all raise our hands and vote it is has to be a mutual decision so the parent really has to stand up and say wait this is what the child needs I'm an equal member of this team you know you must listen to me because really you know you know your student you know what's going on at home a lot of times teams will say well it doesn't matter what's going on at home only what's happening in the classroom that's not true uh, there's homework at home there's behaviors that happen at home because the child is so exhausted from sort of faking it through the school day or, or being bullied or whatever's happening struggling because words are jumping around on the page um, so whatever's going on parents should also know that they have rights and that participating fully in the process is a big part of these laws and as you mentioned Tamara there's there's no age or grade limit to this of when you may discover something Exactly. By law, 
um, the school system is required to find students with disabilities. It's called Child Find, and it's a, a special part of the regulations that say between the ages of 3 and 19, the school system must identify students with disabilities. I don't care if they're homeschooled, if they're sitting in a private school, if they're in preschool, you know, haven't started school, the, the school system is still required to find them. So, you know, when parents come and say, I'm concerned about my child, those are that's the low-hanging fruit. That's the, the softballs mm-hmm. for school systems. They actually have to go into other places and find them. And a lot of times we see that's not happening. So it's not really supposed to be incumbent on parents to say, you know, I think something's wrong. This may be educational. I should talk to the school. The school should be coming to you and saying, your child is struggling with this. We want to test because we think they may have a reading disability or an attention issue or a processing issue, um, you know, all, all kinds of issues. A lot of kids struggle because of lighting, uh, because of sounds. I mean, there's there's so many things that you don't realize that can be affecting that schoolwork. We see it in the behaviors, um, but we have to dig deeper, and that's the requirement of the law, um, and it's uh, incumbent on the school system to do that. We, we we have no time to talk about it today. We could probably do a whole nother show on what COVID meant to special ed and just to try to the, the, the catch up after yeah. COVID. Yeah, and that's going to be going on for a while, I have a feeling. And unfortunately, a lot of parents um, were given kind of inadequate compensation for that, not giving any compensation. And by compensation, I mean extra time or yeah. resources. Um, and unfortunately, uh people signed away their rights without knowing. And um, I wish the school system, I wish all school systems would do more because there is such learning loss for all students. Um, but the more you lift up those in special ed, the more the whole system is lifted. Helping kids in special ed benefits everybody. And uh, that's that, yeah, like you said, it could be a whole show. <laughs> Tamara Quick and Adam Blosser here this morning. Special education, our focus. One final break and we'll uh, conclude this morning on News Talk 1230 WFVA. This is Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFVA. Download the all-new News Talk 1230 WFVA app for Apple and Android. Text your comments or questions directly to the studio at 540-371-5756. And now, here's your host, Ted Schubel. At a blaster, Tamara Quick here this morning. Special education, our focus. You all a few minutes ago talked about just really some resources. And I think probably we should probably just mention those again in, in, in case you missed it, that there are... There, there are resources to turn to if, like you say, Adam, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're confronted with something and don't know, what do I do next? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that I would say that we didn't mention earlier is that at every IEP meeting, you're supposed to be given your procedural safeguards. And so I would encourage parents to uh, take that and read it um, and, and make themselves aware of, of what the law says as far as um, the rights of their student and, and their rights as the parent. And uh, just just reading that and, and being aware of it will help as well. And uh, I would also say that if you don't speak English or English isn't your first language, you have a right to receive those documents in your language. And so I would uh, encourage parents to insist on uh, receiving that in their language it, as well. And you can request an interpreter. 
so if you know someone who who maybe English isn't um, the the language they speak at home, they can have an interpreter there to both read documents to them and to help with understanding what's going on in the meeting. And I think that's probably not used nearly enough. I wish the schools were required to um, to suggest or just have those resources available. But uh, those resources, Adam mentioned earlier, understood.org uh, is one of my favorite. It's very um, plain language. Rights Law has some, and that's W-R-I-G-H-T-S-L-A-W. They have some great books that are written specifically for parents. Um, to kind of help from emotions to advocacy is my favorite because parents are so emotional. You just want to help your kid, but you need to learn to advocate. You need to learn to put the tears and the anger and all of that back and just come to the table ready to say, here's the law. And um, Parent Educational Advocacy Training Center, PTSI, they do regular trainings. They're online. Um, some of them are synchronous. You sit there and watch. Some are asynchronous. You do on your own. But they'll go through the whole IEP process in some of their trainings, which is great. And then locally, we have the Parent Resource Center, and that's a part of Spotsylvania Schools. Their phone number is 540 540- Five eight two seven zero six zero, and they can help you kind of get on track. They don't come to meetings with you, but they can point you mm-hmm. to whether it's a website, a publication, or other ways to get support and really not only help with the IEP process, but understand what's going on with your child. Um, and they are a great uh, supporter of the Special Education Advisory Committee. And just another another shout out for our next meeting. It's going to be October 14th. And December. We, December. Sorry, December. <laughs> I'm going back in time. December 14th, we have a, a social at 6.30 where we just chat, and then the meeting is from 7 to 8.30. So definitely um, come out to that meeting and uh, give your thoughts on what's going on in special education. And if you're just trying to find your way, if, if all of a sudden you're thrust into this, to have people like you or have other parents you can talk to that, that can, can back you up or, or give mm-hmm. you an idea of, of, of which road to go down, that just seems like it would be very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, networking with other people and just uh, talking to other parents and trying to figure out what what they learned, what worked for them, you know, that kind of thing uh, can be very helpful as you're trying to navigate the system because it, it, it's difficult. It's hard yeah. to uh, and figure I, everything And I think out. there's a stigma with special education. I actually had a Spotsy school psychologist that said, you don't want your child labeled, do you? You don't want them in special education. And I was like, um, yeah, if they're going to get the resources they need to learn, I absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. want them to have that label like i had absolutely no shame but this school psychologist was trying to shame me um and so i would say parents be open i'm super open about and all my kids are about their struggles because guess what everybody on the planet has struggles everybody has strengths so let's talk about those strengths and those struggles a little more openly and i think once you start talking to other parents you'll realize oh my gosh my neighbor's kids in special ed. Um, this person I go to church with, their child's struggling in reading. Hmm. It's it's such a universal thing. Thank you both for coming in. Well, this will be a, a to be continued show, just because I, and I appreciate you being able to come and, and and share this information and share your own stories because it is tough. 
but uh, like you know, fifteen percent of Spotsylvania County school students are 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 dealing with with, with this. It, it needs to be talked about in uh, a, a region as a whole. So thank yeah, you both. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you for, for having, having us. us. Yeah. Thanks. Good stuff. Thank you, Tamara Quick, Chair uh, Adam Blosser is the Vice Chair of uh, Spotsylvania School Special Education Advisory Committee (SEAC). We will uh, continue to talk about this issue in the days ahead. Thank you for listening. We will uh, see you in the morning. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFVA. The views expressed by the hosting guests on this program are their own and not necessarily those of this station, its management, or Centennial Broadcasting. Hear the show anytime by subscribing to the Town Talk podcast on your favorite podcast platform. The Glenn Beck program is next on News Talk 1230 WFVA, focused on Fredericksburg.